The Lord be with you all. And before I plunge into this, could I thank you, those of you who have been sending your gifts, your love gifts. I, I want you to realize that this, especially this webinar that we send out to the world free of charge, and it is completely underwritten by the gifts, the free gifts of the likes of yourselves who have been giving, and especially our partners that commit themselves every month to give. And I thank you, and the world thanks you, and I believe that uh, you are one with us in a very special way. Unconditional Love Fellowship is a co-op of believers who pray, who give, and I become the voice to share this message of the love of God and the grace of God to the world. So thank you. We deeply appreciate it. And I want to come again this week to the beatitude that we were speaking of before. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and it's verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we have seen, I believe, that this is not telling us that those who continually mourn are blessed, but rather to those in a state of mourning, Jesus comes with the, and I'll say it carefully, the incredible word, blessed, which means extreme joy, to be uh, upheld and actually overwhelmed in one sense by the strength and the love and the ability uh, of God the Holy Spirit. He said, blessed are the mourn. He comes into our darkness and he announces light. And, and what, what is this blessing that he gives? Blessed are those who mourn for because you will be comforted. And we, we saw last week, what one could say, the universal, how that applies. It's within the gospel. But this week, I want to get very um, close to the heart of this. And in so doing, how can I put this? It, it can bring up hurtful memories. Yes, uh, I, I want to talk to those who mourn in life, the particular. As I said, we dealt with the universal. Well, the particular is, within that universal, there is you and you and you, and you know what mourning is. You've been there, maybe still are there, and therefore just even to turn one's mind in that direction can be hurtful. And so right now, I want everybody who is listening to become deeply aware of the presence of Jesus right here with us, in us, and speaking his words to our heart. He, he's the only one in whose presence I can speak of that which hurts and is my pain and to feel coming from him his compassion, and to hear him say of me, of you, blessed, because you shall be comforted. And then my darkness becomes the place of hope and light. You see, I want you to understand this. This is a very basic to the whole text. If the mourner, and if, therefore, my mourning over something in life is the place, the platform of blessing by giving me comfort, then, and hear me carefully, the comfort. It, do, you, do you understand? This is a comfort that shall cancel out the mourning. Therefore, the comfort must far outweigh and engulf the morning and swallow it up. Did you hear what I'm saying there? 
If Jesus said that he brings a blessing to the mourner, and that blessing is comfort, then that comfort that he brings must far outweigh and engulf and swallow up the mourning and replace it with blessing. So, the word comfort is a stronger word than mourn. In order for it to overcome and dispel the mourning, um, it also it means when we say this word from the lips of Jesus, comfort, and as it is used in the New Testament especially, but also all through the Old Testament, this word it cannot be merely an idea. I mean, an idea can't comfort you. No, I mean. It can excite your mind a little bit, but comfort is a heart matter. Comfort is at the bottom of my feelings. And and so an idea can't do that. And, And you see, a doctrine, even if it's a Christian doctrine, can't do that. I need more than abstract truth. I I need the person who is truth to come and be my comfort. Comfort is not a philosophy of life. All of these things, ideas, doctrines, philosophies of life, that all crumbles when grief comes. Have you noticed? It's amazing um, what you say you believe until something happens where a pit opens up in front of you and it seems you've lost everything and then you realize ideas don't count very much and all that we mumble about doctrine doesn't work. I need a person. And I'm going to be coming back to that more and more. But for now, it's the presence of the person. Jesus was saying this. Jesus, this person who is the love of God incarnate, comes and he doesn't give us an abstract word. He gives us the gift of himself to be all that we need him to be for us and inside of us. And so the scripture says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Only this, only this, only this will bring grief to an end. That this is where we're coming from. So I say again, we've looked at the universal. Now the particular in my life where I experience grief, where you in your unique experience that belongs to nobody else, where you have experienced grief and mourn. And so that, that's what we want to do. Now, in, in so doing, we cannot customize everybody's experience that, that would take forever if I just talked about what happened to you and to you. That, that is for um, counselors, those who will give spiritual direction and walk with you in your life. But I, I want to give you the atmosphere. Maybe that's a, an okay word. An atmosphere in which this comfort that pours from the very presence of God himself shall meet with us. And what your spiritual director is saying, what others are speaking into your life at this time, let it be in this atmosphere. And let this atmosphere feed and nourish you at this point in time. What am I talking about the particular? Okay, let's say it. There are persons who are right now, I'm looking into your eyes, and you are mourning. You have been mourning these many years over physical abuse, maybe in your childhood and youth, and that physical abuse, though it landed bruises on your body, bruised your very soul, mental, emotional abuse. And certainly sexual abuse, where we actually use the term that your childhood was stolen, 
Um, you're, you're very, it seems sometimes that the very life of your life was stolen in sexual abuse and you've mourned it and your life has become patterned by that. Did you go through a bankruptcy? Now, that can do more, a lot of mourning in the heart where, where a beautiful dream of life has come to a terrible sudden end and you're bankrupt. Now, that can come under this, this grief, the loss of your business, betrayal, which can happen in so many areas of life, divorce brings its own mourning. And of course, where the word applies all through Scripture to death itself, that, that you, you mourn and you look in these various areas of life into the black holes of that which has happened to you. And I, I would include in this the, the mourning of the abuser, the one that has caused these things they are left with their own guilt and the accusation of Satan. It's the morning. That's why I need comfort. It's, it's not enough, you see, to go to church on Sunday and hear that God comforts you. What about me as I am mourning in areas of my life that I dare not share with anyone else, where I have lost something of my very soul I don't know what to do and is now defining my life. And then um, inside those things I've just mentioned, especially sexual abuse, but it's true of bankruptcy and divorce, loss and betrayal, um, that the, the Satan has put a lie that's been planted in that event. And now the memory of that event, a lie has been planted and that lie is that you are marked, there's something wrong with you forever, something dirty about you forever, and you are only to be rejected. It's almost like the mark of Cain that, that Satan says is on you. And it's a lie, of course, it's a lie. But beside the point, you believe it and it looks like it. And then Satan is the accuser and he's the prosecuting attorney, and he never quits, and it can be a word that goes like a tolling bell at the bottom of your heart, accusing you that you're no God, good, and, and, and you did this, and therefore you're unworthy, and you were involved in that. And the shame of all those events, all these words make up grief and sorrow and mourning over life, because those things I've just mentioned could have happened, well, 20 years ago, for some of you, 40 years ago, and the mourning goes on, and you've mourned it into your life, and so your life becomes mourning. Okay, that's what we're talking about, the particulars. So look again at the definition that I gave you last week of comfort and, and apply them to all these situations in life. And could I begin this by saying, when God became flesh in the person of Jesus, let this ring in your heart, he does not condemn Please, this is amazing because if you enter into the world of religion, some of those things I've mentioned, all you get is condemnation. I mean, isn't it a fact that, that if you've been through a divorce, all the church wants from you or will allow you to do is give offerings on Sunday? They let you tithe, but that's the end of it because you've got the mark of Cain on you. You're divorced. And if you're bankrupt, there's the big question mark over you as to, you they must have done something wrong to bring that about. And as far as the physical, mental, emotional, sexual abuse, well, um, there, there's always the feeling that you did something wrong there. And, and, and therefore, through the lens of many denominations, we see a God who condemns us. That's a satanic lie. Jesus became flesh. He's 
God the Son in our humanity, and He looked us in the heart and eye, and He says, neither do I condemn you. It says in John that Jesus did not come into the world to judge the world, and He says that more than once. He came to comfort us. Please, if this sounds like the newest news you've ever heard, receive it as the essence of the gospel, that Jesus is God who announces that the will of God is to comfort us. And he comforts us not only in what he did for and as us, but also in that the goal of the gospel is to give to every one of us the Holy Spirit whose name is the Comforter. He doesn't merely give comfort, he is the comfort. So what does comfort mean? Well, as I just said, uh, biblically, when I come to it uh, from the Scripture, I, I must begin with the words Holy Spirit. That's his name, that's who he is, that's his major ministry. The Holy Spirit is with you and in you to comfort you. And so the definition of the word that I gave you last week is that this lover, see, comforts you, he loves you with, with an, an extreme, an unbegun, unending, passionate love. He is the best friend you will ever know. And he comes earnest is the word I would use. I've, I've said passionate because there is nothing wishy-washy about the Holy Spirit. Everything the Spirit does is with passion and earnestness and concern. And He comes alongside of us. And, and remember, He's not giving you something. He is what He gives. And therefore, He comes alongside to unite with us right where we are in that darkness, hiding, shame-filled despair. He comes where we are, and He calls us to come together, realize, step into this unity that we have with Him, to see God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and to see yourself through the eyes of God. And that, in a definition of this word, means that he comes to exhort you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. And he strengthens with the news that Christ is all, and he's done all, and all is well in him. Comfort. The English word is taken from the Latin, uh, two Latin words, C-O-M and fort. Come means with, or as I have I've said, uh, into, and, and fought. Well, we use that word today to describe a stronghold, a place uh, of safety. Um, it, it's a place where we now have, uh, you know, soldiers, and 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 so this word comfort means a, a with you strength. It means inside strength, in strengthened. It's an infusion of divine strength. The Comforter Himself being Himself inside of us, to us. I, I've used the expression, it's kind of odd, but it may in Godded, God in us. So these other words, exhort, if comfort is that the Holy Spirit exhorts us, what is exhortation? I'm doing it right now. Um, it is a call with passionate urgency. It means to be incited, called out of yourself in order to be strengthened. Uh, it's, it's the wake-up call that calls you out to receive, to, to be strengthened and to be comforted. Encourage. Here we go again. Only this is Greek. E-N. Wherever you see E-N, that's the Greek word, in, into. And so, into, it means filled with. And, and it's courage. You, you are, courage is in you. You're in, inside courage. You're filled. You, you are given an inner positive support. 
God himself becomes the source of your confidence and hope. And I'll deal with that in a minute. But but please, not that stupid word that we use in English, which means, um, you know, wish it could happen, but we, we know it never can. But So we hope so. No, no, no. Hope is a massive word of strength in the Bible. Um, encourage, it means to enthuse you, to inspire you. It means to pick you up and to assure you by strength within you can now walk on. So it motivates you. It stimulates you, revitalizes you. It's the invigoration of God, the Holy Spirit within you, causing you to be bold to face life. Wow. These are, I mean, this is plainly what the word means in any dictionary. And that's, that's what comfort means. So, we, we do not focus. Now, hear me carefully. We do not focus on the loss. Well, whatever it is that we have lost in life, even though it be in our eyes at this moment irreplaceable, but we don't focus on that. That will get us nowhere. That will suck us into the swamp. We are focusing on you, your core person, your essential self. And right there in the guts of your very spirit, the Holy Spirit is your comforter. And comfort is what he accomplishes in you there. Then, then, and only then, you can handle... How the, you look at the past and also have inner courage to move forward into his future. I, I've said it and I, I'm yet to say it again. Comfort is not a cliche. See, it's not an idea. It's not a doctrine. It's the person of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So it's not a cliche. And look, people say things. When, when you are hurting, when the loss takes place or when the loss comes into the light of day, people, well, number one, they don't know what to say. Uh, and so they say some things, it would be better they said nothing. Um, I, I know this by experience. I, I'm not talking to you from some ivory tower. I'm talking to you from my own personal experience and, and where you, you, you stand there and, and to you, the, the, this is the end. We've come to the terminus. Uh, there's no more stations. <laughs> Train stopped. And, and, and somebody says, well, cheer up. It will all work out. You can, well, I won't tell you how I felt sometimes. And, and even when they come and with that sickly religious smile, they say, well, we know that all things work together for good, don't we? Um, yes, we do. But I need the Holy Spirit to apply that truth at the depth of my being, which your silly religious face doesn't do to me right now. Or the thing that I, I cringe when I hear it, when someone says to someone who has lost their little child, uh, and they say, well, God took your child because he needed an angel. Uh, I don't want to say what I feel when people say that. Or others uh, who say, well, just rest in the Lord and praise him. Yeah. And of course, there's always the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And then we've got our other friends who look at you from their high place and say, there must be sin in your life. Or you didn't have enough faith or this wouldn't have happened, would it? No, they're all cliches. And most of them I place under the word terrible. They should be banned from the mouth of Christians. I don't need words. I don't need cliches. I don't need formulas. I don't need a book of doctrine. I need the actual imparting to me of comfort. That, that means then, I, I, I must realize all that Jesus said, all that the Holy Spirit is now, 
announces to me that God is not remote. He's not the God up there. He's not the uncaring God who's got some steel will. Somebody told you, well, it must have been the will of God that this happened. That's not the God who comes to me in Scripture. He comes to me as the God who is love. And the key word to the life of Jesus, who is God with us, was compassion. And this one who is kindness, who is gentleness, he gives to us his comfort. Has to be, has to be, or there is no comfort. There there are components to comfort. What, What does it look like when the Holy Spirit is working in you his comfort and it says does it not they shall be comforted notice that blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted that is the mourner the one who hurts and grieves is passive in this and another is acting upon them that is, they, they shall be comforted. The comforter is acting and doing the comforting. I am receiving it. Goes back again, doesn't it? Someone, capital S, is at work here. The spirit of the ascended Jesus is with us and acting in us and upon us. And he is himself the comfort. So here in this Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus took this handful of men called his disciples uh, and they sat around on the rocks and on the grass at the top of a mountain and Jesus shared with them the way he has lived, the way he is, the way God looks like when he's in flesh and he's saying it's for them. He announces to them, as he announces to you tonight, that he brings divine comfort. He who is the personal presence inside our humanness of God love, of limitless kindness, of caring, who completely understands our dark feelings He identifies totally with our deepest pain. And so this comfort we speak of is this personal presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Oh, do you realize it? Right now, as I'm speaking, he looks at you. And you are limitlessly important to him. You are significant. You are unique. You are precious to him. While at the same time you are in grave danger if you're not made whole. Because to mourn can bring us to darkness and the very heart of death. But this one, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, is the true safe friend who truly knows what you went through and truly relates to your experience. And he is one you can trust. He is the truth. His word must be believed and hoped in. So there again, this comfort is his presence, not a remote God, that the the atmosphere of comfort is this awareness of the very presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. He's not giving a comfort that's a vague, abstract idea, a thing, like if, if if I just gave you a pen, it's a thing, I give it to you. No, God doesn't give anything to you at all. Salvation isn't a thing. God became flesh, and He is our salvation. He is our comfort. 
In fact, did you know, which I have not mentioned and will only refer to it here, Jesus is the Comforter. And, and when the Holy Spirit was to come, uh, Jesus said he was another Comforter, which meant one exactly the same as me. And so the Spirit is the Comforter that was given by the Comforter. And so exactly the same. Do you realize that? The Holy Spirit with you now is exactly the same as Jesus was as he was with his disciples. In fact, more so. He said, it's better for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, can come. And when Paul spoke of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he called him the God of all comfort. So I'm not talking about a, a, a force in your life, good Lord. What use is an impersonal force? I'm broken inside. I'm bleeding inside. I need the very presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to come there, make me whole. And that's it. That's the gift of comfort. And, and Jesus didn't come among us just speaking platitudes. He joined in and made his own our grief and sorrow. In fact, he says he became the curse. He, he stood exactly as us. When you look at Jesus in his sufferings and death, put your name on him. I look at Jesus in his sufferings and death and that's Malcolm. He died as me. He carried you. He carried me in his own person, each as if we were the only one. And he carried it to the death. See, let, let me read Isaiah 53. I know we've done this before, but this is important because so many people miss this. Listen. It says that, where is it? Verse 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That, that was written 750 years before Jesus came, but it was... That I cannot better it as a commentary of what Jesus was doing on the cross. I asked people, what did Jesus do when he died? Why did Jesus die? And the average answer from the average evangelical is to suddenly come into a robotic voice and say that Jesus died for my sins so that I would go to heaven. Um, would you just scrap that and read the Bible instead? It says here, that in Jesus coming and suffering and dying, it says he was acquainted with grief. That word acquainted in the Hebrew language means to intimately know by personal experience. Yes, you heard me. It says that Jesus intimately knew grief. He took it, and so intimately did he know it, he has a personal history of your grief. Acquainted, it means in the Hebrew language to be in union with, to be inside. You know it because you are absolutely one with it. He was in union with my grief. He was inside your bleeding sorrow. The word acquainted means you've not heard about it as an abstract idea. This isn't hearsay. This is the ultimate witness because you were in it. You know it. You've felt it. Said Jesus was acquainted with grief. And what's grief? 
Well, there's many words in the Hebrew language that could translate that word grief. And I, I'll just give you all of them because um, I won't go into why they chose grief. The word grief there, yes, it means sickness. That's the prime meaning of that word in Hebrew. Sickness of spirit, sickness of mind and feeling, sickness and disease of the body. It means anxiety. It means trauma. Yes, post-traumatic stress disorder, that's this word in the Hebrew. It means mental anguish, where your mind is being torn apart. It means heaviness, despair. It means depression. It means faintness and weakness. Interestingly, it means severe battle wounds inflicted by an enemy on you so that somebody else wounded you. It means you are caught in the crossfire. You were just standing there and you got caught and beaten up. Huh. That's that word grief. Check it out in a Hebrew dictionary. That's a big word. Sorrow. What sorrow? Well, it's almost a parallel word to grief, but it means especially pain that belongs to mental anguish. And so it means sadness. It means to be plunged into grief. It means personal destitution and loss. Do you realize what this is saying? Jesus didn't just do something for you that you sing about in hymns. You were in this wonder of incarnation and gospel. You were made one with Jesus. He goes to the cross as you. And the cross was his pathway into the very heart of what's wrong with the human race. And therefore, he went along the path that led through those sufferings that he went through. The sufferings that began with Gethsemane. Do you remember we often skip over Gethsemane? Let me read just a few quotes of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. In Mark, it says, he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And Luke, in his 22nd chapter, says, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling upon the ground. And any doctor knows that is a medical condition that can occur under extreme stress. The Passion Translation, an excellent translation, by the way, uh, speaks of it as intense feeling of great sorrow plunged his soul into deep sorrow and agony. And again, the Passion says, Jesus said, My heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as if I'm dying. And Mark said in verse 33, I just quoted for 34, but in 33, in Mark's Gospel, he uses the strongest word in the Gospel. He, in our old King James Version, he says, He was sore amazed. It means a horror, a fear, an anxiety of a great darkness gripped a hold of him. It means a great agitation. And one said that this word in the Hebrew language could be used to describe the look on the face of a child that is lost in the shopping mall. Huh. It's... This is what we're talking about. He, he knew grief, knew it, experienced it. The grief of mankind meets in this one person. And he now 
assumes it and takes it as full responsibility. Jesus was abused. I read the sufferings of Jesus. Uh, maybe sufferings, you see, that's a weak word compared with what we're saying. The sufferings of Jesus were, in actual fact, the abuse of Jesus. He was mentally abused by, by those who arrested him and the high priests and the governor of Rome and Herod the king. It was a mental abusing, but certainly physical. They beat him until the scripture says he no longer looked like a human being. And he was sexually abused. Did you know that? Crucifixion, that was the main point about it. They stripped one naked and hung them up on a cross for the whole world to come and gawk and mock and laugh at them. Ask any judge in Texas if you're stripped naked and put up before a crowd to be laughed at, that's sexual abuse. And he was rejected by all his closest friends, including Peter and John. Peter swore, cursed, blasphemed, said, I don't know the man, and said it right in his face. And John... John, his favorite friend, he just put his head down and pretended to be poking the fire. They took all the clothes of Jesus, everything he possessed. And the last sound that Jesus heard on the cross, says the gospel, was the sound of the Romans, their dice on the rock as they gambled for his clothes. He died bankrupt. He was betrayed by his best friend, and the word used could be used of divorce. Every suffering, every trauma, every torture, every grief known to humankind, Jesus took it and fully experienced it and took it into himself so that it became the history of God. For the Father who sent him, and now God the Son who embraces that, and the Holy Spirit who enables him to do so. One God. Huh. That's how much he loves you. He took it all. You know, in, in the Bible there's a strange thing, and yet, and we don't recognize it today, we should. Again, too much to go into but if, as, as a person, a Hebrew person of the Old Testament and coming into the New Testament, if you touched or were touching, touched by, a dead body or anything to do that had a relationship to death, then you were sort of, how can I put it, they, they said you were unclean and you, you sort of were under the spell of that that had touched you or you had touched the dead body or that which were connected to death. And therefore you had to be separated from society for a certain amount of time uh, until you were said to be clean. Looks sort of old and out of place, but oh, think about it. As, as you, you, you touched a dead body or, or something or someone associated with death had touched you and now you see yourself, hear me carefully, you see yourself through the lens of the unclean, the death that has made contact with you. And therefore you see yourself now as unclean. Do you realize I am speaking to you in your life? You were touched touched intentionally by filthy, wicked, unclean hands. And it left us looking at ourselves through the lens of those unclean. And we saw ourselves now as unclean, socially unfit, that no one could ever love us and no one could get close to us beyond the scope of acceptance. Yeah, this is very much up to date, isn't it? But have you noticed in the gospel, it's a big part of it, and you might miss it unless you know the whole story, but Jesus in the gospels, he went out of his way to touch these unclean persons who allegedly cannot be touched. Jesus went out of his way to do it. 
Boy, that made the headlines. Jesus touched with intention. Didn't just brush up against them. He touched them with the intention of love and with care and and his person of kindness and gentleness. And what happened? See, he touched those that were unclean. Well, then, according to everything understood in those days, he then was unclean. He touched the unclean. But instead, in the Gospels, he wasn't made unclean, but instead the unclean were made clean. Huh? I tell you, that made the headlines. He touched lepers. And lepers were number one on the list. They had to get out of town, go live outside the town. They had to announce that they were around when they were 15 feet from other humans. Jesus touched a leper. Unspeakable. He should have been put in quarantine for I don't know how long. Instead, the leper was made whole. The woman with the issue of blood, similarly, he touched her. She touched him, and she was healed. He touched the dead, and they were raised from the tomb. Look, if you feel that because of what that person or persons did to you, you were touched and now have the dirt of their wickedness upon you, that's a lie. But the fact is, Jesus will not recognize the lie and he touches your very soul and heart and causes you to know that you're a child beloved of God and you're filled with the light of God and you are accepted into the social life of the Holy Trinity and therefore of humans. You're not alone in your core self. You're not alone in a mind confused and hopeless you're cleansed. You're the temple of the Spirit of God. Acts ten fifteen says, What God has cleansed, let no man call common or unclean. If God is cleansed, then everybody had better get up to snuff and recognize, no longer considered unholy. Comfort. A component of comfort is knowing your identity, seeing yourself for who you are, a person of light filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, You see, I'm not identified by what they did to me. I'm not identified by what happened to me. I'm not identified by what I did. I've been cleansed. So the Scripture says we sorrow, but not as others. Yes, of course we sorrow. The, the, the believers of the New Testament, those who enjoyed this to the full, um, they didn't go around without tears. They didn't look at the horrors of life and just shrug and go on their way. No, they wept. They knew sorrow. Yes, we know sorrow at a funeral of a loved one. We know sorrow in bankruptcy and divorce. We know sorrow over what people have done to us. Yes, we know sorrow and we weep. But says 1 Thessalonians 4, we do not sorrow as others which have no hope. We sorrow, but it does not shape or define our life. It is left in its place, a marker in life that that did happen, but it's now but a scar. It does not feed us with poison. We never find our identity in the darkness. We find our identity in the one who comes and delivers us. And so we we sorrow, but we do not sorrow as others which have no hope. Look, the sin of this, if you want to get down to it, the sin or, or the brokenness of all of this is when we believe in the sorrow more than in the grace and the hope of God. We, we could find many illustrations in Scripture of that. Um, that they, they experienced deep grief, but it did not define them. They were defined by the presence of God who was their shield and their comfort, their strength. You see, God is not merely the God of the second chance. You've heard that. No, he's not. <laughs> he meets us where we are just as we are, totally lost and messed up 
and that becomes the starting point of his new way of arriving at his goal. We, we have a GPS system in our car, and I, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know what, so what you've got. Ours is a chatty catty sort, you know. She's always talking. And um, when we got, well, we missed it. I won't say lost. We, we missed the turn. And suddenly there was silence for a second. And then she said, I, I, I see you, you missed that. Well, let's start from here. That's neat. So we tested it. We deliberately Missed the turn five times over. Five times over, just with a happy voice, she said, well, I see you missed that. Now let's start again from here. That is, she didn't say, I'll give you another chance to do that. No, from where you find yourself now, right in the middle of your apparent lostness, let's start again and go from here. Hey, the Holy Spirit is a trillion million times more than Chatty Cathy. I miss the way, of course we do. I, I, I make a mistake. Somebody trips me. Somebody I'm caught, as that definition I gave, caught, I'm caught in the crossfire. Somebody gave me a battle wound. And what does the Holy Spirit say? He says, then we'll start right from here, just exactly where you find yourself. I've, I've got another way to get to the goal that is filled with wonder and adventure. That's it. Ah. So much we could say, isn't it? See, um, we, well, I'm watching the time. Um, we've got to forgive the abuser. I have to include this. Uh, we must. There's no comfort until you forgive the abuser. It is love that comforts you and love now that fills you. And therefore, that comfort must now find expression and forgive the abuser. The trouble is, let me put it like this, when we forgive, especially in the cases I've mentioned, to forgive can feel like the betrayal of oneself. That is, after all they did to me, you ask me to forgive them? That would be betraying myself. I will have forsaken myself by not pursuing the abuser in hate and revenge. Yeah. The trouble is, um, you'll be the one to be broken by your own unforgiveness, you see. But the, I think a lot is in that English word forgive. The, the word in the scripture doesn't mean what it comes to mean in English. Forgiveness isn't letting someone get away with sexual abuse. Uh, forgiveness isn't letting someone get away with murder. The word forgive, can you just forget the word forgive and put instead the word release? Because that's what it means in Scripture. Release. Release them. Release the person who hurt you. Release the betrayer. Release the liar. Release the murderer of your soul. Release them into the hands of God, the only judge. That is, do not have an imagination of yourself as the judge of your abuser. Do not imagine that you are the jury that determines the execution. Rather, expel that person from your head. They've spent too many hours living in your head. And expel them, release them in the name of Jesus to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if the thoughts about them return, as they surely will, you simply say they no longer live here. Go to Jesus where I have placed them. I have experienced that and I explain it in great detail on my various CDs on forgiveness um, as I do also on the other series called When God Feels Your Pain. And it's so important, so important. The, the greatest act of your own release is to release those and leave them in the hands of God for Him to deal with them as absolute righteousness and love shall surely do. Um, hope. What, what is hope? Um, we, we come to the fact that I, I, I need hope. Um, he has given to us the absolute 
um, promise of being our God of hope. Romans 15 says, now may the God of hope, notice that, the God of hope, that he's, that, that's who he is. He gives hope, filled with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. And we could spend a lot of time there. But what, what, what is hope? Hope is that sure, that certain rest in God that things that are happening to me will not control me, will not define me, but I shall be defined by God's future, by God's love, by God's glorious best. And I say that it is um, the strongest assurance. I, this word hope in English has so, there's nothing to it. It, it, it. It's a useless word. But in the scripture, it is one of the strongest words. Maybe that's another one you can substitute a word for. Instead of saying hope, say sure expectancy. Because that's what it means. That's what it means. We come um, and, and our hope is in every scripture that we have quoted in, as we've talked about this. And so he, Isaiah 61, 1, it, it speaks of authority. The mark of Jesus is that he binds up the brokenhearted. The heart that has burst would be another translation there. It means a heart that's broken down or shattered or broken in pieces. Yes, your hope is, your absolute confidence in the God who is truth is that he binds up, he heals the brokenhearted. The ransom to the Lord will return. Come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's our hope, because it's spoken by the God who cannot lie. Comfort. Comfort is living in hope and living in peace. Living in joy. All the anxieties and fears that are the results of believing in the power of the abuse and the power of the abuser to direct the rest of your life. That brings nothing but anxiety and fear and a spiraling despair and depression. But when he comforts you, and he comforts you because Jesus has taken your despair, your sorrow, your grief, and now the Holy Spirit strengthens you with the love of God. His, the, this comfort that he gives is the point of departure into the rest of your life. This is the new path that he gives to you. Defining your movements in the future by forgetting that which is past. Remembering who he is. We... Well... Let me say this, in Isaiah 35, it says, Encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble, say to those of anxious heart, take courage, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance. And that is vengeance against Satan that caused this mess. The recompense of God will come, he will save you, and the ransomed of the Lord will return, and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart, not just right now, certainly right now, but go to bed with an open heart, wake up with an open heart, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will never hurt you. Holy Spirit will never shame you. Holy Spirit will never make a fool of you. The Holy Spirit who is joy. He doesn't have it. He is it. He is the comfort I've spoken of. And he at this very moment speaks his love, his strength, the re-seeing of your life through his eyes. That sorrow and sighing will flee away. 
And now upon each one, the blessing of God who is love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless you, infusing you with his love, his light, his life, that you shall be one raised from the dead to walk in the way of life from this night forward. So I bless you, and so it is.